0: Hey, why don't you get your Bible? Let's do what we do. Let's get into God's Word. Uh, if you didn't bring a Bible, then there should be one at your seat. Uh, so you can open your Bible up to Ephesians chapter 3 uh, or your browser, whatever device you're using, Ephesians chapter 3 is where we're going to be. We're wrapping up this series 316 in a very encouraging prayer uh, out of Ephesians 3. I, I don't know if you've noticed this, but it's a graduation season. Anybody notice that? Yeah, you know, if you got a graduate, you know, this is consuming your life right now. So many different activities, so many different parties. I have a friend of mine said I had to get a whole different calendar only to contain all the places I need to be on graduation month, right? And so it's, there's a lot of activity. But even if you don't have a graduate, you're probably getting graduation invitations. You're going to parties. You're buying gifts and cards. So there's a lot going on, and it's an exciting time in, in, uh, in the life of every family. <clears throat> but it got me thinking about the word graduate. And the preachers do this kind of thing. And so I thought, well, let's just look it up. So I looked up the word graduate. And of course, the first definition of graduate's verb, first definition, no big surprise, to receive an academic degree. But the second definition is the one that really caught me off guard. To move from one stage of experience to a higher one to move from kind of where you are to the next stage. And it made me think that in our walk with God, we should constantly be graduating, right? We should constantly be growing. We should constantly be moving forward, constantly maturing in our walk with God. And so that's what I want to talk about uh, today. I want to talk about how do you grow spiritually and how do you pray for the spiritual growth of the people in your life. Maybe your family, your kids, uh, your spouse, uh, the people in your life that matter the most to you. And so we're going to look at a prayer today that's a prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus. Of course, in this series, we've already looked at Colossae, the town there. We looked at Laodicea last week. Now we're in Ephesus. All these cities were really close together in Asia Minor, and Jesus had a different word for each one. But for this church in Ephesus, the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to them, and he's just praying for them. This is one of the sweetest prayers in the Bible, one of my favorite prayers in the Bible, and we're going to look at it today. So why don't you just look at it with me, Ephesians chapter 3, and we're going to back up to verse 14, begin at verse 14. And this is the Word of God, Amen. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And I pray that He may grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with His power in the inner being through His Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length, and width, height, and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, I want you to start right there and underline the phrase, filled with all the fullness of God. That's really the whole point of his prayer. He's, that's where he's driving. He's saying, man, I'm just praying that you will be filled with all the fullness of God. You say, well, what does that mean exactly? What does it mean to be filled with all the fullness of God? Well, what it means is that you grow, that you mature, that you step into and are filled uh, with all that God wants you to be. That you would fulfill your purpose. That you be filled with the Spirit of God and used by God in a powerful way. We know that because in the next chapter, Paul says just about the same thing. In Ephesians 4, verses 13 and 14, he prays that they would grow, quote, into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Therefore, you will no longer be little children. In other words, he's saying, man, I'm just praying that you would grow into being a mature, godly person that you would really step into all that God has uh, for you. Not stalled out, not distracted, not, uh, not just going through the motions, not that your walk with God is stale or mundane or mechanical, but that it would really be vibrant and alive. That's what God wants for you and that's what God wants for me. He wants you to live your fullest life. You know, every once in a while I hear people say that phrase, living their fullest life. Maybe you see somebody on Instagram and they're doing something crazy or doing something really fun or dancing, you know, dancing and showing it on on video or whatever they do. And and somebody will say, man, they're living their fullest life. What do they mean? They're just just living life to the full. And that's what Paul's praying. Man, I want you to live your life to the fullest. Christ said, I've come that you might uh, have life to the fullest, right? John 10, 10. But get this, a full life is a life that's less of you and more of Christ. John the Baptist said, I must decrease and he must increase. What does that mean? That I'm, I'm no longer a person? No. It just simply means that less of my thoughts and more of God's thoughts. Less of my desires and more of his desires. Less of my flesh and my hang ups and more of his spirit at work in me. Less people seeing me and more people seeing Jesus in me that 's what he means, and so that 's what he 's praying for for these uh, believers in in Ephesus and at some point he just decides i'm just I just got to pray this into you you know sometimes as you're as you 're teaching or you 're preaching uh, you 're trying to give out truth, and you 're like, man, I just hope you 're getting this man hope you 're getting it you know i 'm doing the best I can with the limited vocab- vocabulary I mean I went to Texas Tech, so I got a limited vocabulary, but but as best I can, I'm trying to get this across to you. You know, I'm just hoping you get it. And, and sometimes you just stop and go, Lord, you're just going to have to help them receive this. Help them understand this. And that's really what Paul is doing. He's like charging through three chapters of deep theology of their identity in Christ. And now he's creating Jews and Gentiles together, this mystery that is being revealed in this new man, this new church, right? That's being birthed and all that that means. And then he just stops in the middle of it and bursts into prayer. Because he's like, God, only you can really reveal this to them. Prayer is a very powerful thing. This, uh, January I received an envelope from a friend of mine who's a pastor in Alabama. He and I have interacted over the last several years in ministry, just struck up this great friendship. In fact, I was just with him this last week. And this envelope was from him. It was an eight and a half by eleven manila envelope. I tore it open and saw about five pages of just white like printing paper with his handwriting on it. And as I started reading it, I noticed that there was a date and then a prayer that he written out for me. And he had prayed every Friday, every month for a whole year. Every week he was writing out what he was praying for me. And I tell you what, that just really moved me. Uh, that, that he would just even be thinking about me enough to pray, but then to write it down so that I could see what he was praying And that just stirred my heart. And that's what Paul is doing here. He's writing down his prayers for you and his prayers for me. What's he praying for? He's praying for our growth. Notice he starts off with his prayer, for this reason I kneel. Paul is in prison. Paul can't get to them. He can't be with them. Sometimes people are in our heart, we can't get to them physically. But he said, man, I'm praying. You know, I hear oftentimes people say, well, I can't do much. All I can do is pray. As if that's just like a small thing. Actually, that's a powerful thing. Listen, God's not doing uh, anything uh, apart from, man, the prayer of his saints, man. God is moving in response to his prayer. And as you're praying, then God is moving with your prayer, even prompting you to pray. uh, And he's working in that person's life. And so it's a very important thing that you pray. But it's also important how you pray. And as Paul gets on his knees in this prison cell, he, he just launches into worship. I mean, notice what he says here, verse 14. I kneel before the father from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. In other words, he's saying, father, the, the eternal family of yours, you're our father, we've been born again by the blood of Jesus Christ, and we have family in heaven, they're already in heaven, and we still got our church family that's here on the earth, but man, all of us, we come from you, God, we know who you are, you're the, you're the father of us all. He knows who God is. He worships him for who he is. But he also worships him for what he can do. Look at verse 16. He's praying, quote, according to the riches of his glory. He said, Father, you can do anything. Man, you, you can do anything. I don't know if you've ever been with somebody like super powerful, maybe a high government official or a, a CEO of a big company or maybe just super uber wealthy. And you think, man, I just, man this person could pretty much do whatever they wanted. They, they have a lot at their disposal He's like, Father, I'm coming to you and I know who you are, but I know there's nothing that's too big for you. Now, I know that nothing is outside of your control, that, that you have everything at your disposal according to your riches and glory. Father, I'm coming to you. You notice just a worship that's happening on his knees in this prison cell? And then he begins to pivot and he begins to pray uh, for these believers. And he really asked them to fill them, right? He's praying for the fullness of God in their life. And so we ask God to fill them in three ways. So if you're taking notes, I want you to jot these three things down because your homework assignment is this week to pray like this, all right? Now you're gonna forget if you don't write it down, okay? If you're like me, you'll forget if you don't write it down. So just jot these things down, three things he prays that God would fill them with, all right? Here's the first one. He prays that, he would, that God would fill them with inner strength with inner strength. Look at verse 16. I pray that he may grant you uh, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through the Spirit. Now circle the word strength there. He's praying for strength, but they need strength. Strength. But then it's not like I'm just praying that you would just kind of just double down and just kind of dig deep and just kind of just do it the best you can. It's not, it's not grit. He's not praying that they would just have internal grit. He's not praying that they would just try harder to be better. Hey, by the way, the Christian life is not just trying harder to be better, right? You can't do it apart from the power of God. So he's like, man, I'm praying that the spirit of God would give you strength like that's outside of yourself, a supernatural strength. And and that this strength would just sink down into your inner person, and that you would have the strength to walk with God. You know, Jesus promised this kind of strength for every believer. In the upper room, Jesus said in John 14, "Listen to the words: I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Counselor to be with you forever. He is a Spirit of Truth. The world is unable to receive Him because it doesn't see Him or know Him, but you know Him." Because he remains with you and will be in you. Jesus said, you know, when I go away, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, this counselor. When we think of a counselor, we think like somebody that's giving you therapy, right? But it's more like legal counsel or more like helper. I like that translation better, helper, that he's come alongside to help you and to empower you. Later on, Jesus will tell his disciples, to go pray in Jerusalem and wait. And he said, and the spirit of God will empower you, you will be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then you will be my witnesses. So this idea is that you really can't do what I'm asking you to do unless the spirit of God empowers you to do it. And so this is what Paul is praying for. He's saying, I'm praying that God would fill your heart with strength to live this Christian life. And it would happen, notice what it says, in your inner being. In your inner being. You know, did you know that the Bible talks about your outer person and your inner person? All right, it's not really a duality. It's just talking about what is physical and what is not physical. Your outer person is your physical. Uh, right out in the margin of your Bible, 2 Corinthians 4.16. He says, even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. Right? Your outer person is this physical body. And, and our outer person is, is failing. Somebody want to say amen to that? Hey, our outer person is failing. Agreed? I mean, I'm looking at you. Some of you are wearing glasses. I mean, I'm wearing glasses too. I know. Some of you are losing your hair. Yeah, I, I used to have hair, you know back in the day, you know. Some of you, it's a little, little hard to get out of that bed, you know, a little creaking going on, man. It's just not, you're just, some of you guys are like, what did he say? You got to turn this thing up. You know, I mean, it's, you know, our outer bodies are failing. But he said, even, even if our outer bodies are failing, man, internally, you can be strong. You can have the strength of God in your life. And that's what he's praying for. Man, I'm praying that you just be strong internally. Why? Why is it so important that he would pray and beg God to give him strength? Because he knows the battles that they'll be facing. If you go on and look at Ephesians 6, he talks about a spiritual battle. A spiritual battle that's raging against the, the spiritual forces uh, of evil around us. That's, that's reality. And listen, it's not easy to be a Christian in today's world. It's not easy to stand for Christ in your office. It's not easy to, uh, to be named a follower of Jesus Christ today. It's becoming more and more and more unpopular. And many of you are facing battles, and some of you are facing battles in the culture, yes. Some of you are facing battles in your family. And you are even seeing your kids being pulled in other directions. Maybe you're seeing the stress in, in, in your marriage, but there's a battle there, a spiritual battle raging there. Some of, some of you are facing battle in your own mind and your own thoughts, your own temptations. And and how are we going to face this battle? He's saying, I'm just praying that then the Spirit of God would just strengthen you so you would stand your ground and you you would live for Jesus in this really dark world that, man, you would just be strengthened inside to follow Jesus, to know Jesus. It's a great way to pray, isn't it? Father, strengthen them in their inner spirit, Father, strengthen them for the battle that's ahead. So he prays for inner strength. Uh, Jot this one down. He also prays for surrendering faith. Surrendering faith. Look at verse 17. And he said, he continues, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. All right, I got a theological uh, test to give you. All right, you ready? Take your piece of paper out, put your name in the top right-hand corner. Uh, A theological test. Here it is. These people are Christians. He's already spent three chapters talking about who they are in Christ. Why then does he pray that Christ would dwell in their hearts? I mean, after all, when you come to Christ, doesn't Christ come into your life, into your heart through faith? I mean, isn't that what Galatians 2.20 says? I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, right? So this old life has died off. I got this new life and Christ is in me. So why, why, if that's true, why is he asking, why is he praying that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith? That's, a, that's an interesting question, Right? And if you're going, well, I thought Christ comes to live in me when I come to Christ, Uh, correct, that's true. So why is he praying this? The answer to the question is found in the word dwell. Look at that word dwell. You might want to circle it. We saw that in Colossians a couple of weeks ago, the word dwell. The word dwell means to take up permanent residence. All right? Think less like an Airbnb, more like a home. Okay, some of you are gonna go off to, the, to Colorado, you're gonna get an Airbnb, you're gonna go down to the beach, you're gonna get an Airbnb, you're gonna go on vacation this summer, you're gonna rent a place. It's not your home, it's just there temporarily, but it's not, it's not really home, right? He's saying, I'm praying that Christ would dwell and be at home in you. Put it another way, he's praying that Jesus would increasingly be at home in their hearts, as they learn to trust him more and more. I've told you i told you this probably many times before, but bear with me, because I think the illustration works. Uh, most of you probably remember your first house you ever lived in, right? You remember your first house? And most of, it, most of the time, your first house wasn't your best house. Would you agree with that? Uh, it was pretty small, probably. I mean, our first house, I told Liz, was the ugliest house in America. Hands down, you know, nasty, nasty, smelly shag carpet, cheap brown paneling on the wall, foily-like, outdated wallpaper. I mean, fixtures that looked like it came over on the Mayflower. I mean, it's just, it's just ugly, all right? Like gr- the bushes were overgrown and it looked kind of haunted. I mean, it wasn't, but it looked kind of that way. I mean, it was just, it was just was not a pretty house, but, but man, we went to work, Right. And uh, we started pulling all the carpet out and repainting and ripping down wallpaper and changing out fixtures. And and we we went to work on this house, just like you probably did on your first house. And I can't tell you exactly when it happened. I know it happened, but I'm not exactly where, I can't put my finger exactly when, but we fell into bed one night. And we felt like we were at home. Somehow, during all this, we kind of turned this ugly house Into our home. It was our home. Now, listen, that's what it's like when you give your life to Christ. When you give your life to Christ, He moves in. And He looks around and says, Wow, this is a fixer upper, right? (laughs) This is going to take some work. But we're, we're all right, we can do this. And He rolls up His sleeves, and through the power of His Holy Spirit, He goes to work on the inside. Christian life is not about external change, but internally no change. It's actually the opposite. He begins to change you on the inside. Remember the inner person. We just saw that in verse 16. So Christ comes to live within us and he starts working on us and he starts convicting us. Hey, that, that's gotta go, man. <laughs> that, that language, whoo, we gotta change that. Okay. That, that, uh, that habit, no, that's gotta go. That practice right there, no, that's not good for you. Let's get that out. He starts dragging stuff to the curb. And then he starts bringing in some new things. Hey, check this out. Here's a new passion. Here's new spiritual gifts. Here's new abilities. And here's some new vision for your life and what your life could be. And he starts, he starts rearranging the interior of your life. And he said, the more we trust him and the more we cooperate with him, he becomes more and more at home in our hearts. Is Christ at home with you, in you? Uh, That's what he's praying for, that Christ will be more and more at home. You know, many times we give Jesus, we let him in, but we give him limited access, all right? Jesus, you can come in, but you're going to need to stay in the guest room, and maybe you can go to the living room, all right? Cannot go to the entertainment room, cannot go to the bedroom, cannot go to the office, all right? Those are off limits for you. Only stay in this little part of my life. But Jesus just doesn't want a corner of your life. He wants all of it. He wants all of it. And so he's saying, I'm praying that as you trust him more and more, that Christ would renovate your heart. Let me just give you a little word to parents here. Parents, many times as your kids grow, your kids don't do what you want them to do. Call me Captain Obvious. Right? Sometimes, and sometimes it's little things, sometimes it's big things. Sometimes you see your kids veering off in a direction that's, that's dark and dangerous and seeing influences that are happening around them and you're, and you're afraid and you're worried and you're concerned as any loving parent would be. And there's this internal desire to control, right? I gotta lock them down. I mean, oh, for the days when we could put our kids in timeout, right? Those were the easy days. Can't do that now. They can drive, right? And, uh, and so you're, you're like trying to control them. And man, if I just control them, if I just make them understand, you know, if I could just do this, then that would change them on the inside. But you listen, you can't change their heart. Your kid's pastor can't change their heart. Your youth pastor can't change their heart. Even, even the senior pastor cannot change their heart. But I know one person who can. And that is Jesus Christ. And when Jesus comes in, he begins that renovating work in their heart and in their life. That's why Paul was praying. He's like, Lord, only you can do this. God, I pray that you would just. Mean Christ would dwell in their hearts and God, you would just remove the things that need to be removed and you would convict them when they need to and God, you would change the furniture and the arrangement of their life so that you're at home in them. What a beautiful way to pray. What an urgent way to pray. Are you praying for your kids like that? Are you praying for your husband like that? Are you praying for your wife like that? Are you praying for your lost friend like that or your parents like that or people that matter in your life? God, just rearrange them on the inside. That's, That's what Paul prays for them and what he wants for all of us. So he prays for inner strength that they would stand in the battle. He prays for surrendered hearts that Christ would change us on the inside. And then check this out. Lastly, he prays for overwhelming love. I love this part. Look at verse 17. I pray that you being rooted and firmly established in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Circle the word uh, rooted there. The word rooted. I don't know what you think of when you think of rooted uh, when, I, when I think of that word, I think of the shepherd's tree. The shepherd's tree actually is indigenous to the Kalahari Desert, which is in South uh, Central Africa, one of the most arid places in the world. Uh, this is called the shepherd's tree. Uh, some, in, some people in that part of the world call it the tree of life, simply because it provides life-giving shade in, in an otherwise sun-scorched part of the world. Uh, What's unique about this tree is that while the tree only stands somewhere between 10 to 30 feet tall at its max, its roots go down 250 feet. In fact, it is the deepest root system of any tree on the planet. 250, just think about that. The roots just pressing down and pressing down and pressing down and pressing and pressing and pressing until it finally hits some water that it can draw up nourishment from. Now that tree is rooted. Would you agree with that? That is like a picture of rootedness. And that's what Paul's praying. Man, I'm just praying that your roots would just sink down deep into what? Sink down deep into a better friend group? Sing down deep and do a better habit. No, no, no. Sing down deep into the love of God, the the love that God has for you. It's like, man, I'm just praying that that you would be so rooted in how much God loves you. Why is that important? Because when you understand how much God loves you and how we demonstrate that love through Jesus, listen, when you fully get a hold of that, when that's rooting you, if that's who you are, then you will never ever leave him. You'll never leave him. Listen, we're we're looking at a generation now that really isn't rooted in anything. Right? Their, their root system is very shallow. And the culture says, man, be rooted in this. Here, this is your identity. No, be rooted in this. This is, this is who you are. This is who you, 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 you'll feel like. And we'll accept you here and we'll do this. And, and the world is kind of giving all these superficial things to ground them, yet it doesn't ground them. There's no root. And when crisis comes, when trouble comes, uh, there's nothing to anchor them. But we are living in a culture and a generation. This longing for God. They're longing for identity. They're longing for change. They're longing to be transformed. They're longing for something. And what they're longing for is God. Only he can really root them. Only he can really satisfy them. Only he can really give them their identity and their purpose in life. And so he's saying, listen, I'm just praying that that you would be rooted in the love of God. And listen, can we agree that the love of God is sometimes a concept hard for us to fully comprehend? Would you agree with that? Kind of hard to get your hands right. I think, I, I even kind of chuckle when I read verse 19 because even Paul is kind of tripping over his words trying to describe how important and how big and how rich is the love of God. Look at verse 19, he says, I want you to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge. Hey, how in the world do you know something you can't know? Man, I want you to know this, but you can't really know this. And so I'm just, I'm just praying that you know this. Like, what is he saying? What he's saying is that it's not like just book knowledge saying it's got to be something that is experienced deep inside of you. If you came up to me and said, Craig, do you love your wife? And if I replied by saying, well, I did some research on marriage one time and I read some books and I did some statistical analysis on five things that make a marriage better, you say, no, 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 I didn't ask for that. I said, do you love your wife? That's a hard thing. Yeah, you may have some of this up here, but but do you love her, see? And that's what he's saying. You can kind of know some things about God's love, but have you experienced God's love in your heart? Is it rooting you? Are you grounded? And how much God really loves you? Listen, we cannot fully understand how much God really loves you, but he does. He really, really does. You know, there's some people that... uh, that are what I would call experience-driven people. All right, everything is based on their experience, right? Their experience is what drives their understanding of truth. If I don't feel it, if I don't experience it, it's not true. And that's bad direction to go. We're living in a culture just like that, right? Experience-driven. It's my truth, your truth. It's all about my experience, my known experience, and I understand truth through my experience. That's gonna lead you down a bad road because your experience can be faulty. Your experience can be faked, right? Your experience isn't always a barometer of truth. On the other hand, there are other people that are experienced all right? And they fill churches, right? They have good theology in their head, but they've never experienced change in their heart. Paul is not arguing for experience driven or to be experienced deprived pride, but just say, look for three chapters. I've tried to explain to you who you are in Christ and his great love for you. And I'm just praying that that would bring that down from your head and it would finally sink down and root in your heart so that you would really know how much you are loved by God. Because when you know how much he loves you, then you will love him back. You will love him back. That's why he says, he said, I want you to know how high God's love is. Psalm 103, verse 11, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his faithful love toward those who fear him. He said, go out tonight and just look at the highest star and think about, man, even space cannot contain the love of God. He said, I want you to know how deep is God's love. 1 John 3, 16 says, this is how we know what love is, that Christ laid out his life for us. Man, that's how deep his love is for you. He would sacrifice his own self. I want you to know how wide it is. I want you to know how long it is. It's throughout eternity. He's never going to like wane in his love. He's not going to fall out of love for you. His love is consistent and eternal. I want you to get your mind around that. Elizabeth Elliot, whose husband died as a missionary and who wrote many books about just growing in Christ, she used to say this, God loves you with his everlasting love. And he holds you with his everlasting arms. That's how much God loves you. And he said, listen, I'm just praying that you would just root yourself. Yeah, but you don't know what I've done. You know where I've been and all my mess ups. Yeah, I get all that. But that's why Christ came. He loves you that much. Do you hear what Paul is praying? It's almost like we're sneaking in the back room and we're kind of getting to put our ear next to the wall where Paul's praying and you hear he's on his knees and he's begging God begging God God strengthen them for the battle God just change them on the inside so Christ dwells, God just just show them how much you love them what a powerful way to pray for those in your life and then he closes with this great promise look at verse 20 this is probably the most popular part of the verse of the passage he says now to him who is able to do above and beyond all we ask or think according to the power that works within us to him be glory in the church and to christ jesus to all generation forever and ever amen I just love that. He's like, man, uh, only God can do this in you. Only God can just show you this. Only God can strengthen you. Only God can change you on the inside. Only God can show you his love. And God's able to do it. If you just keep praying and seeking him, he will change you on the inside. He will do these things in your heart. He will do them in your family. He will do it in those that you love. If you cry out to him like this and beg him, God can do it and God will do it. And then he just talks about, man, to him be glory forever and ever. He's like, when you live like this, that God's going to be glorified in your life. He's going to be glorified in you. You know, I just... uh, I just love this picture, right? Here's this person, they're filled with God and it's just like, man, that's a different person, man. When he walks in the door, there's just something different about him, man. God's just, God's just using him. I see, I see more and more of Christ in him or her, you know, a church like this, man, they're just, God's just working there. God's glorified. Listen, God is glorified in you when you are full of him. God's glorified in you when you're full of him. So maybe this week you get on your knees and you say, Lord, fill me. Lord, fill me with the strength I need. Lord, fill me with, with your presence and change whatever you want to change. Just, just go to work. I'm a wreck. I need, I need you. Lord, just remind me how much you love me. That I don't have to earn it. I don't deserve it. I just can receive it. And then once you pray for yourself, maybe you pray for those around you that they would glorify God like this. Would you bow your heads with me for a minute? Maybe today, the Spirit of God's speaking to you. Maybe there's some things that need to be rearranged in you. Maybe you need strength right now. Because you're really going through a hard time, a hard season, and you need the strength that only God can give you. Maybe you just need to be reminded that God loves you and you don't have to earn it, that you can sit and receive it. What is the Spirit of God saying to you this morning? Lord, I thank you for your unfailing love for us. Thank you, Lord, that you showed your loves most clearly on the cross. Your word says you demonstrated your love for us, and that while we were still sinners, that Christ died for us. That when we were running from you, fighting you, enemies of God, that you sent Jesus to go to Calvary's cross to die in our place, to rise again from the dead, and you offer us new life. That's crazy love. That's redeeming love. That's life-changing love. Lord, I pray for every person in this room that we would walk into this week filled with your love. And Lord, if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, then Lord, I pray that even now in their own hearts they would just confess their sin to you. Say, Lord, I I just sinned against you. Lord, I pray that you would bring them to confess Jesus as Lord in their own heart. would turn from their sin and turn to Christ that this would be the day that they walk from this point forward in your love rooted established thriving growing Lord we love you we worship you now and we pray this in Jesus name Amen